0: Ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, welcome to the newest episode of our European Values podcast, which is created by the European Values Center for Security Policy. My name is Veronika Vikhova. I am the Deputy Director for Analysis and Head of the Kremlin Watch Program at EVC, and it is my pleasure to moderate today's episode. Our main focus today will be how Western liberal democracies can stand up to authoritarian regimes. It's a topic which is very cordial for our own activities. Most specifically, we will focus on cooperation of authoritarian or dictatorial regimes and how we can better use sanctions to counter them. Today's guest will be Roberta Bonacci, founder and president of the European Foundation for Democracy in Brussels. Her expertise lays in prevention of radicalization, foreign policy, democratic reforms, and extremism. The EFD, Organization Shirans, is a policy center based in Brussels. To begin with, let's look into the latest news in the area of Western sanctions against authoritarian regimes. On Wednesday, July 6, The US listed two people and 13 entities that are said to be linked to the illicit sale and shipment of Iranian petroleum, petroleum products, and petrochemical products on its sanctions list. On July 7, the European Parliament gave its consent to the draft European Council decision which identifies the violation of EU sanctions as an EU crime under the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union. And last but not least, Canada has adopted and announced further Russia sanctions measures, including the addition of 29 people identified as Russian disinformation and propaganda figures and 15 state-owned or controlled entities said to be involved in disinformation activities to its sanctions list. And now let me welcome here today's guest Roberta Bonazzi from the European uh, Foundation for Democracy. Uh, Welcome and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, and thank you to the European Values Center
1: for uh, the hospitality and the the cooperation in uh, this very difficult moment for all of
0: Europeans. Well, thank you, because it's our pleasure. Uh, Could you please start by uh, telling our audiences what are the main policies that you and your organization, the EFD, are currently advocating for in Europe? Uh, Our work
1: focuses very much on the prevention of radicalization, broadly, and uh, that means looking at all those uh, uh, forces, ideologies, uh, often um, uh, pushed and supported by state or non-state actors, and that have as a goal to uh, weaken, undermine, and destabilize uh, Europe, Europe as a
0: a union of uh, liberal democracies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because part of your work is uh, focused on authoritarian regimes and how they also work together, I wanted to ask, there's a lot of discussion lately about Russia and China working together now or potentially, uh, but are there also other authoritarian or dictator, dictatorial regimes, which might be uh, having an interest in working with Russia and what threats does these, this cooperation pose to Europe?
1: Look, by their own nature, uh, totalitarian regimes, and you mentioned Russia, China, and as many others, I would like to mention also Iran as, uh, as such, um, tend to work together and to find areas of cooperating, even if their uh, basic ideologi- ideologies or um, uh, agendas may, may be different or even conflicting in some cases. At the moment, their major threat to their own internal stability um, are liberal democracies. Liberal democracies uh, uh, are uh, strong when it comes to values maybe weak because these values uh, mean uh, openness, uh, freedom, freedom for individuals to move to from one country to, the, to another, to change their views, to criticize the government, all um, uh, uh, aspects that in a totalitarian uh, system, totalitarian and authoritarian thi- systems are not allowed. Um, so inevitably uh, you'll find you'll see um, how um, uh, countries like uh, russia and china Continue is nothing new, but continue to cooperate, um, uh, and how um, Iran equally cooperates as uh, um, e- uh, with uh, Russia and, and or China, depending on their needs, depending on their um, they're very opportunistic in their d- in their uh, choice on of who to cooperate with, um, but indeed the very nature of liberal democracies. Um, is in antithesis with their worldview and their management of their own people.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned Iran. Could you maybe elaborate on that one uh, more specifically? Because we don't talk about Iran that much on our podcast. What are the malign activities that we should uh, be aware of the most right now?
1: Look, Iran, since the um, 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 the revolution of seventy nine, has uh, has had uh, I- incorporated in its you know in its own constitution and uh, overall in its own um, um, policy agenda uh, a revolutionary uh, worldview that uh, sees uh, uh, Islam as the only o- um, Islam is I would say as the only uh, um, the s- the form of uh, uh, government possible and uh, since um uh the the Islamic revolution, which has seen as a, as a one of the first dramatic episodes the the, the um, uh seizure and attack of the u s embassy um with uh, several people uh, murdered um have uh marked their own activities domestically and outside of their borders, uh, with the support of uh, um, um, terrorist groups and terrorism more in general. Uh, Iran has uh, uh, developed a very strong network of proxies, starting from Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, and uh, um, working closely with its own uh, IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards, uh, who are a military structures within the country, that actually controls the whole economy of, uh, of the country, of
0: Iran. Well, maybe I would add, uh, is there anything uh, where, or any field where Iran and Russia might also learn from each okay. other? What is very relevant
1: today uh, in, uh, in the framework, in the context of uh, Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine and the whole range of uh, uh, massive sanctions that uh, Europe and the international community have imposed on Russia is uh, a very open um, and explicit uh, cooperation between the two countries on uh, how to manage life under sanctions and i there was a recently a a very interesting documentary by a a russian journalist um, that who went to iran and interviewed a whole series of uh, figures um, and citizens trying to understand and to learn how uh, iran um, uh, um, has succeeded uh, to avoid um, and uh, uh, bypass sanctions and what is very interesting is that uh, um, until the Russia sanctions, uh, Iran for many years has been the, the most sanctioned country in, uh, uh, in the world, uh, only o- or bypassed or, or um, um, uh, taken over, the, 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 that uh, um, uh, position has been taken over by Iran, uh, very by Russia very recently but there's a, a sense of pride in this cooperation, as in they feel that the Russians want to learn how um, uh, a country like Iran has managed not only to survive, but to, I, won't, I wouldn't say thrive, because any benefits don't benefit the people themselves, but the, um, the, the system of uh, what you, you would say equivalent of uh, Russian oligarchs. Um, and uh, um, and that's how they're cooperating. Um, Foreign Minister Lavrov was in Iran recently, and uh, in their um, in his press uh, conference and in their uh, mutual joint declarations, they were very explicit in uh, uh, wanting to strengthen, uh, continue and strengthen their cooperation, even on the um, financial, economic and commercial uh,
0: space. Mm-hmm. And in the face of that, of that effort to cooperate and learn how to evade sanctions, what can the EU do to better enforce its sanctions or to uh, basically decouple those two countries so that they don't succeed in this effort?
1: Look, the EU, over the the past 15, 20, 15 years, has uh, introduced very, very strong, very sophisticated uh, mechanism for um, 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 sanction mechanisms to prevent money laundering, uh, terrorist financing, uh, and uh, compliance with international sanctions. The reality is that uh, it is a very complex um, uh, field, um, and uh, that there has to be, beside legislations, there has to be a much more uh, proactive and uh, aware um, uh, role from the uh, market operators and that means from banks, um, um, auditing firms, um, s- state country authorities and so on. and there um, has to be mechanisms that hold uh, all these companies also l- responsible for uh, not complying or not being aware of how their actions contribute to money laundering and terrorist financing. Another element to, to bear in mind is that uh, um, um, new sanctions have been imposed on, uh, on uh, Russia existing sanctions are still uh, in force as concerns Iran Um, there has to be first of all strong awareness and political will to ensure that the two countries do not cooperate um, and do not uh, join forces in what they 're already doing, because their the practices of evading sanctions are very uh, very um, uh, tested uh, practice and uh, is almost a routine for um, uh, for for uh, iran that 's for sure the way they 've managed to um, sell uh, or, or their oil to China, for instance, or to other countries by just switching off the transponders of their um, 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 uh, oil carrier and ships uh, is uh, it's, it's indicative of the kind of practices that that are been in place, and this is the most visible. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the coupling, uh, I, I think, the the the, the Coupling should be necessary, but uh, is necessary, but in terms, uh, I, I would say, um, uh, of the role that each, the EU, but each member state uh, needs to play in, uh, um, uh, in preventing this, in, uh, in ensuring that this doesn't happen. Bearing in mind that you're dealing with countries that um, whose goal is to deceive, Um, uh, international uh, um, actors the international community there was recently (coughs) a couple of very interesting articles in the wall street journal one was in uh, may and shortly after basically the the wall street journal had access to um, um, documents that were able to verify uh, that uh, uh, confirm and demonstrate how Iran had uh, has managed to obtain uh, secret uh, documents um, from within the um, international agency for um, in th- from uh, uh, within the um, international atomic energy uh, agency um, that have allowed them to deceive the agency the inspectors by preparing in advance and concealing their uh, their progress in their uh, activities uh, on related to the nuclear program. Um, More um, a few weeks ago, there was again more evidence that has emerged of how um, Iran has uh, was able to uh, uh, trick and take advantage of uh, um, international banking system. So they're actually operating in a way that uh, could be spotted if we really have the political will to prevent that. If we don't do that, it doesn't matter how much, uh, the, how many sanctions we impose on Russia, on Iran, on any, any other malign actor, but it's, it's not going to work. We almost, uh, we, we create a, 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 an apparent situation of uh, uh, feel good, like we've imposed sanctions, we're all together, but then they're not enforced. There's no compliance, they're not enforced. So that's what the um, international community, the the European Union and the member states need to do to um, ensure that this happens. Mm -hmm.
0: A very common argument I hear uh, even from political or diplomatic circles from time to time is that Uh, the more we sanction and isolate these authoritarian regimes the more we are pushing them together and the more they will cooperate so you know previously we very often heard we need to work with russia against iran now we have to work with china against russia and without this kind of uh, working together with authoritarian regimes we will not be able to stand up to the other ones what would be your argument on this topic
1: that they work together anyway they don't need more sanctions to be closer to each other they're already close to each other They might see each other as a a geopolitical threat or rivals uh, in different regions at particular times. But right now, more than ever, irrespective of the sanctions, their enemies are uh, the Western liberal democracies because of their own nature for a long time um, the west has uh, um, europe but the west in general has believed that by working more closely with uh, with authoritarian system we would be able to support um, um, not force but support internal change. So these countries would become um, would would move from being uh, enemies to become similar to open societies. So we've accepted uh, there's, there's been a strong push for uh, um, to, to accept or include um, uh, China in the world trade uh, organizations with the assumptions that by working closely to them by giving uh, China and uh, um, western part um, partners uh, from the business community access to each other's markets, we would see a rapprochement, also ideological rapprochement. And as I said, the opposite is true because uh, China has uh, taken advantage of uh, uh, new opportunities, has indeed expanded its trade with uh, Europe and with the United States, with the West in general. Um, has benefited uh, intensely, but for uh, many years has actually taken advantage of this openness um, of liberal democracies by uh, stealing and accessing uh, confidential uh, um, um, information, commercial uh, um, um, information, access to uh, sensitive infrastructures, just the thought of uh, what Huawei has been doing in uh, in Europe is is an indication of uh, um, uh, of the way uh, an authoritarian system has not only not changed but continues to have expansion expansionistic um, uh, goals. And the same applies to Russia and to Iran in different ways. Obviously, they are different countries, increasingly different from not only the religious. Uh, Per, uh, perspective, but also in terms of uh, policies, mentalities, and objectives, what brings what um, um <coughs> brings them together is their authoritarian nature and uh, their uh, their intentions, their malign intentions to um, undermine liberal democracies.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> I'm a little afraid that uh in the upcoming months we will have uh difficult times ahead of us, uh with rising energy prices, food prices, potentially another wave of COVID, uh the continuous war in Ukraine, uh the Russian aggression in Ukraine, but also the their malign actions in Europe. Uh and with all of that, it might be more and more difficult for European governments to explain to their citizens that the sanctions that we put in Russia should be kept in place because very often people feel like because of the war and because of the sanctions, we are doing worse. What would you advise uh, to European governments how to communicate this issue and how to persuade people that we need to keep the sanctions in place?
1: I agree with uh, your assessments. I don't know whether I have the recipe, perfect recipe or perfect uh, answer to what to do. What I, uh, what I can tell you is that I share your concerns. I'm worried too um, of how we can communicate with citizens. And not just because of the um, latest uh, events in Ukraine, the sanctions, uh, higher costs and higher cost of livings for uh, for the people because this is a trend that we've seen hasn't started on the 24th or the 25th of, of February. It's a process that has been going on already for a few years uh, with different uh, changes and uh, um, increased uh, during the pandemic and then it seemed to went well again. My concern is uh, um, that European citizens, especially countries that used to be called Old Europe, from Italy to France, uh, Germany, UK, and well, UK, sorry, is no longer in the EU, but um, Spain and so on, don't remember don't have a collective memory of what it means to live under authoritarian systems, to live under uh, a threat of uh, or uh, um, um, the, the being controlled by force by authoritarian systems. And uh, values and uh, systems like freedom, like democracy, like uh, um, uh, individual liberties are taken for granted. So my first uh, um, uh, consideration would be that there has to be a greater, much greater effort from all uh, um, governments to educate, to have people become aware of uh, the values and the freedom that we have. We we are living in a very very complicated time, and really long before. Russia uh, invasion and uh, um, uh, or the pandemic, we've seen how populist uh, uh, groups, whether left-wing, right-wing or uh, um, no-color but issue-based type of uh, populists, have uh, uh, succeeded in uh, destabilizing or uh, um, uh, mobilizing uh, groups across Europe and how some have also been elected to, to government. And uh, these are very um, are dangerous because they're, they're populists, and as such they appeal to the people but don't, are not able to offer any practical solutions, if not eroding even further our democratic systems. Um, and we've seen it, there's there's like clear evidence or clear examples across Europe of how these same groups actually align, cooperate and in some cases are funded by authoritarian systems like Russia, China or Iran and there's enough evidence that can be looked at if uh, policy makers, if public is able to make the uh, an additional effort and just Think and research what they take for truth from mm. any form of news.
0: Can you mention some specific examples? W- who are the groups or politicians in Europe <coughs> who are the, let's say, strongest proxies of these authoritarian regimes who are, maybe have liberal tendencies? Um,
1: <coughs> yes, I'm just thinking um, um, without looking at. Countries in general, uh, I come from Italy. So uh, in Italy, we've seen how um, uh, the Northern League Party or uh, and the five-star movements uh, who were elected to govern the country were actually animated by can be very sim- simply described as populistic um, um, uh, worldviews. And I say populistic because they just appeal to basic fears of individuals from uh, paying your rent to cost of petrol, to fear of your neighbors, uh, fear of migrants, um, fear of so based on fear. But when it came to governing, they haven't been able to um, to to offer any practical solutions, if not just. political statements that couldn't go any further. Um, and when it comes to, um, um, to examples of how they cooperate, there's no secret of uh, um, the way the Northern League and uh, the leader of the Northern League openly uh, supported uh, supported President Putin, openly declared that uh, Putin is uh, the first example of uh, a good uh, and credible and uh, leader or how the five-star movement was actually very close to china and willing to cooperate with china even uh, before covid and during covid
0: Mm -hmm. and here in the central european region how worried should we be about uh, the increasingly illiberal uh, developments in Viktor Orbán's Hungary
1: The situation or the way uh, Hungary has evolved over the past years is uh, indeed worrying. We worked uh, with uh, many individuals and organizations uh, in Hungary and it, it was in a way partly surprising, partly shocking for us to see how they were really scared and really had to be careful about what they said in public because of fear of retortion from the government and this is unacceptable in europe so indeed uh, the european union cannot be held hostage by uh, one member who uh, has its own um, illiberal worldviews and illiberal alliances. Uh, Orban has uh, made no secret of its uh, cooperation and uh, and support for Putin. And we are now in a situation in which uh, um, um, Hungary has uh, attempted to block and is still uh, trying to block uh, any efforts from, uh, uh, from um, EU member states, from the EU, to work in a united matter and to defend Um, European uh, freedoms and values. And if there's something positive of the horrendous situation that we've seen since uh, um, Russia's aggression is indeed how quickly the European Union has managed to work together and be united in uh, adopting measures that uh, are unprecedented for, for the European Union. In many years that I've worked uh, uh, with the EU institutions and I've observed very closely uh, EU politics. I've never seen such a cohesion among member states and uh, it's it's refreshing, it's encouraging um, to see that we are able to do that.
0: Thank you, Roberta. One last thing before we finish up. Uh, a little bit out of topic from what we talked before, but I personally wanted to ask because you are uh, a professional in foreign and security policy uh, and uh, there's not that many women in this field so far and I wanted to ask if there's anything you would like to say or you would say uh, to young women who study international relations security studies who are thinking about this what would motivate them to, to join this field and if there is something you would like to know before you started this career.
1: Maybe I've also been lucky uh, partly because I started my my professional career uh, in a slightly different uh, um, um, world and that was primarily uh, the the um, consultancy world still dealing with similar issues but more on a commercial side and i uh, all of my bosses were women so in that respect I, i've been lucky because i haven't um, I've always had uh, very good women bosses but i 've actually actually also had uh, fantastic male colleagues um, with whom i 've never felt uh, any kind of uh, um, uh, conflict or rivalry um, as you said, it is true that this uh, this environment is uh, very much male dominated and I guess what i what maybe um, made, makes me lucky is the fact that I was a bit naive when I started working on these issues and I wasn't really looking at the male women uh, um, rivalry or uh, how difficult it could be for a woman. Uh, It was some of my colleagues who made me more aware uh, of this and I do notice. I do notice uh, um, not only the rivalry but uh, um, um, a tendency to like the old school boys meeting. Um, so my my recommendation my my suggestions to women is to stay strong do your work doesn 't matter whether you 're a woman or not just just don 't even look at the difference. be professional, do your very best not because you 're a woman but because you 're a professional and uh, push back if you feel that uh, anyone is uh, is trying to um, uh, take, uh, take your place or take advantage of, uh, of your uh, situation, context or your position, push back. Don't think you're a woman, you're worthless. Just push back. It's about your self-confidence as well. Don't use, be an individual, be a professional.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. So uh, before I say goodbye, I would just like to ask you if you could tell our audiences where they can follow you and your work, or if there's any specific activity or a project that they should definitely check on.
1: Well, of course, we have a website, um, europeandemocracy.eu. You can follow us on uh, uh, Twitter at EFD Brussels. And uh you know I often uh, be I'm often asked uh, how can we help? how can we support um, we're very welcome to receive also suggestions of how people want to be involved with uh, our work and contributes to our efforts and it's not always about money, about funding it's uh, very much about being like-minded, believing and sharing the same. Uh, values that we share uh, when it comes to open societies, respect of minorities, acceptance and coexistence uh, uh, with all, um, uh, with political views from across the political uh, spectrum. Um, so just be in touch with us if there's anything we can do to help. Come with ideas. Follow us on uh, Twitter at EFD Brussels.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you today. I hope we will uh, meet each other soon again. And thank you for talking to our audiences and explaining your point of view. I think it was great.
1: Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. I enjoyed it too.
0: This is the end of today's episode in which we discussed Western sanctions against authoritarian regimes with Roberta Bonazzi, founder and director of European Foundation for Democracy. If you liked this episode, please, Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts so that you do not miss another episodes in the future. My name is Veronika Vichova. I'm the deputy director of European Values Center for Security Policy, and it was my honor to moderate this episode. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or check our website, and we will be looking forward to talking to you again in the next episode in a couple of weeks.